0: Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8, it reads, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I'd like to open up with a quote here this morning, and we'll close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's from his book, Mere Christianity. He says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Again, each of us, we have desires and we try to fill them, we try to quench them with different things. And it's always enjoyable for a season. Maybe at first it's it's real quick and then it's gross. Maybe it's a little bit longer of a satisfaction. But all of the greatest satisfactions in this world, they pass by. And then once again, we're filled with this emptiness inside. Right? Many of us, we've had that sense. You go out on vacation and you're out on vacation, and usually it's right about the halfway mark, right? You're 60% into the vacation, and then you kind of say, I think I'm ready to go home, right? I miss my bed. I miss my food. I miss my dog. I miss my wife. I miss my kids, right? I'm ready to go back on whatever this journey was. We all go through it, no matter the most beautiful place you go to. I'm kind of tired of this. You think of a a husband and wife or the first time the person you love says, I love you, right? The first time someone told you, I love you, and you sort of melt, right? You break down, you start crying, you have a little note, this day on October, whatever, so-and-so said, I love you, hug, hug, kiss, kiss, or whatever the case may be. But then you're married after five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and it's now like you're greeting, Love you, right, you're leaving, love you, you just saw each other to your hello, your goodbye. And even the greatest things in life, after a while, they don't really satisfy. The first time you have kids, the first time you feed your kid, oh, it's the first time they're eating food, and it's so exciting. And then after a month of it, six months of it, where you're still trying to feed them right, and the food's going everywhere, it's no longer satisfying. We were not made for this world, we were made for another world, and this morning we begin to look at this world. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, Paul, he tells us in Ephesus, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think or even imagine. That's how powerful our God is, and that's what He has in store for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. And there's a great truth as we go through Revelation 21 that many of these hopes that we will one day taste of, we have little glimmers of it here in this life. You see, our God today in this life, in your present life, in your present situation, He has exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think or imagine in this life. But then He also has that in the life to come. The same in 1 Corinthians 2, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him in this life and in the one to come. Again, every once in a while we come to a moment in life where you're able to have this overwhelming gratitude and you take a step back and you say, Lord, how did we get here, right? You can ask that question two ways, right? Two different seasons of life. Sometimes when you're at the bottom of the barrel and you say, Lord, how did I get here, right? But every once in a while, you're in a certain season and you say, Lord, how did I get here? A couple months ago, I was able to go to Maine and was able to share and just being vulnerable with you, right? Being able to share there at Pastor Ken Graves Church, a guy I've always looked up to in my life. And as I'm getting ready to teach, I'm sort of sitting back and say, Lord, who would have thought, right? Who would have thought, sixth grade Zach, who would have thought, Lord, not me, not me. I would have never thought this, right? To be able to sit back and say, Lord, how could you do such things like this? It'll happen in this life. It'll also happen in the life to come. But it's only for those who love him. It's only for those who are in the church by Christ Jesus. And our world has gone through a few series of being reinvented. The world that we live in, it's been reinvented several times over. Some versions, they're greater differences than other versions right can you think of the world before cell phones think of the world before your cell phone how now we don't have our phone and we almost have a panic attack right I lost my phone where is it? I left it at home we go through those difficulties but can you think of the world before cell phones i used to have to ring someone's doorbell you couldn't just call them and say hey i'm outside right you would have you couldn't just look on find my friend and see where your spouse was at or your kids were. you had to wonder where are they right now or whatever the case may be To think of the world before the internet, right? A random question pops into mind and you couldn't just, hey, Google, right? Who won the best picture award in 1990, right? You you couldn't do things like that. If you really wanted to know, you'd have to go to the library, find an encyclopedia, find a book on it, right? And you're thumbing through, oh, here's the answer to my question, right? Think of the world before cars, trains, and planes, before modern travel. Some of us, some of our kids, right after 45 minutes, are we there yet, right? Got to go to the bathroom, got to stop, should we get snacks, right? You think of travel before that. Think of the people that came from Europe to the new world. Hey, how long will it take? A month? Maybe three, right? Depending on the weather, depending on the storms. Think of the world before electricity. I don't know how many of us could make it without air conditioning, right? No air conditioning, no refrigerator, no ice, no cold drinks. Think of the world before plumbing, some of you don't want to think of the world before plumbing, right? <laughs> A big hole in your backyard, you got to go fetch the pail of water, you got to do things, right? Think of the world before plumbing. Right? Think of the world before the flood, before rain ever existed, before right the, all of the continental shelves, all of these tectonic plates were ripped apart and then smashed back together with the mountains, with the abysses in the ocean, right? Imagine that. Imagine the world before the fall. Imagine the world in the garden in perfection, being able to do whatever you wanted as long as you didn't eat one fruit, right? That's easy. I'll just eat meat for the rest of my life, right? That's easy, Lord. I got it. Think of the world before the fall. No sin, no work, no sweat. Some of us, oh, man, no sweat, no pit stains, right? I'm down with that for the rest of life, right? Think of the world before the garden, before it existed, just void, darkness, how God, he created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, And just as our world has gone through all of these different reinventions, the heavens and the earth will one day completely pass away. And now God will create a brand new heavens and a brand new earth just as he once did. So verse 1, Revelation 21, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. We can turn quickly to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 11. We've looked at this portion of scripture a few times as we've journeyed through Revelation 19, 20, and 21. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 11. It tells us, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons Again, realizing that it's all going to burn, right? That's a great statement to remember for the rest of the day at least, right? It's all going to burn. Your favorite car, your house, your favorite couch, your TV. It's all going to burn one day. Uh, And in light of that, in view of that, how should we be acting in holy conduct and godliness? That when you have your brand new car and you park it for the first time and you come out of Publix and there's a huge Ding and a huge scratch and no note on the window right it's all gonna burn doesn't matter doesn't matter at the end of the day when you have this toy or this heirloom that you've been preserving since you were five years old and somehow your kids found it and thought it was supposed to go through the mud and be broken and bashed apart and built back together what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct right it's all gonna burn Our 401Ks, the way we look at the toys we have, it's all going to burn one day. And how do we react? And in light of this, we've looked at it, Revelation 19 and 20, that this whole world will dissolve, even the elements of it. The time-space continuum, all of that will be done away with. Then we have the great white throne judgment where all of mankind, billions and billions of people, judged on, are you in Jesus Christ or not? Then after that, our works are judged. If you're not in Jesus Christ, your whole life's work, every time you refused, every time you reared up your pride, instead of humbling yourself and turning to Him, that's going to come to the surface. And then for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, all of our works will be shown, be seen through the eyes of Jesus Christ, and only what was done for Him will remain. And a new heavens and a new earth will come. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. Again, friend, how much do you know the Word of God? How much are you reading and studying the Word of God? This is something that is eternal. It will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. In Isaiah 65, verse 17, even in the Old Testament, It tells us for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. The word here in Isaiah 65, 17 for create is to create out of nothing. To create out of nothing. Some of us were good at creating. Some of you are creative people, but you sort of need something in order to create something. None of us here can create something out of nothing. Nothing. I created this song out of a language that has never existed before. No, it doesn't exist. Right? Some, of your, some of our kids, my kids are into Legos. They like building different things, right? Oh, it's amazing that you built this. No, that I built this out of nothing, right? I grabbed in air and look, this is what I created and built. This is what God does. In Genesis 1:1. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is God created out of nothing. And one day he'll wipe away the heavens and the earth. And He will create out of nothing the new heavens and the new earth. Let's turn to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, continuing this truth, how God will have this heaven and this earth pass away and create a new heavens and a new earth. However, there's a bit of application we can draw from Psalm 102. And why do we study God's Word? Is it to fill our heads, to fill ourselves with pride... Is it so that next time we're on Bible Jeopardy, we can answer the $1,000 question, right? know it so that we can apply it to our lives so we are conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. Here in Psalm 102, verse 25, it says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. Again, how to God, the heavens and the earth, it's like a t-shirt that gets old. Even if it's your favorite t-shirt, it starts getting holes in it, little nicks in it, little belt, puts little holes in it, get caught in the door jam, puts holes in it, stains, gets old. And one day God, He's just going to rip it away like an old t-shirt and He's going to bring in a new cloak, it tells us there. But how do we apply it? Verse 28. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. The great truth that it's only the servants of Jesus Christ That will continue. It's only the disciples of Jesus Christ that will continue for all of eternity. But those who are not in Christ, they will not taste of life and that abundantly. They will taste of death for all of eternity and the absence of life for the rest of it. That's our two great choices. Either we get life and that abundantly, never having to taste of death ever again. Or we taste of death and that abundantly, never being able to taste of life ever again. Right? The weight of that. The weight of that. How many of you would want to live in the morgue for the rest of your life, right? Free rent. You don't even have to, right? you don't even have to pay rent. But you're going to have to live in the morgue for the rest of your life. Right? That will pale in comparison to what hell is going to be like. Are we truly the servants of God, or are we serving ourselves? Are we serving this world? Verse two back in Revelation 21. John, his attention is changed once again. It says, "Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, family, this city is holy and new. It will be completely different than any earthly city. It is completely set apart and completely different. Just as God is holy, He is creator and everything else is creation. So this city will be completely set apart and different from any other city we've been to. It's going to be a place for God's people to gather together and spend the rest of eternity with our God. You see, our relationship with God, our religion is so special because our eternity won't be floating away into nothingness. Our eternity isn't slowly dissolving into nirvana and just being a part of the four seasons and the earth and whatever else may be. Our eternity is not going to be in eternal isolation, just becoming a god and sitting there humming. Humming. Our eternity is a heaven where there's our God and other people. Our eternity in heaven is going to be a very social place. There's going to be people everywhere. God is going to be there. And there's never been a city without sin. Never. Every city that has ever existed has had sin. We've only had a garden and one married couple in it, and they wrecked it, right? They messed it all up. But from there on out, every city has had sin in it. So now imagine the most beautiful, perfect city. All of its citizens have the same values. All of its citizens have the same morals. All of its citizens are filled with the agape love of Jesus Christ. All of its citizens agree on the same leadership, agree on the same politics. They agree on everything because God is our God and we follow him. And the way God likens it, the way that John writes it here for us, is that it was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And there's different things that really change the season in life for an individual. But marriage is probably one of the biggest game changers. And one of the most beautiful ways to have a life changed. That moment on the wedding day when the bride is coming down the aisle. And she's adorned. She's all dressed up, right? It takes her a whole day to get ready. Not just a day, it takes her weeks and months and years of getting ready, right? And she's adorned for her husband. Sandy Adams, he's a pastor there in Atlanta, Georgia. He says this, not me, right? He says, I've seen a lot of ugly women, but I've never seen an ugly bride. And I've had the joy and privilege of being able to have a lot of different people get married and be there on their wedding day. And I've yet to see a groom watching his bride walk down the aisle and look at me like, is that it, man? <laughs> I've yet to see a groom with unmet expectations. I've yet to see it. I've yet to see a groom be like, man, she looked better on our first date. What's going on here, right? <laughs> Last week when we went out to dinner, she looked prettier than she does right now. Never! Each groom has a different reaction. Some of them, they're just sort of frozen and in awe, right? And hey, are you there, man? Are you here? We have a couple questions, a couple of things we've got to go through, right? Some of them are just crying the whole time and then their wedding pictures, their eyes are all red and puffy afterwards, right? Some of them, they're just smiling. They look dumb, but they're just smiling how happy they are, right? Just seeing her walk down the aisle. There's never a moment of unmet expectation here. And it's, it's true for us in our heart. We will not miss the earth. We're not going to miss this earth. The best that this world has to offer, we will never miss it. We'll never be looking back saying, man, you remember how great the old days used to be? The new heavens and the new earth like a bride adorned for her husband. Some of us, we read at the end of verse 1, right? What do you mean no sea? What do you mean no more ocean? I love the ocean, right? What's a pirate's favorite letter? No, it's the sea, right? So, right, some people, they love the ocean. They love the ocean, right? I love the ocean. I have the letter C, the ocean, I hope you get that right. I love the ocean. I love the water. I love the beach. I love being out on the water. But we have to be mindful that our God has exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. That's what he has in store for us. One pastor, he said, man, if you're heartbroken about there being no more sea, at least we'll have a thousand years of perfect ocean and perfect sea, right? So we'll get, we'll get all of our kicks out then, right? A thousand years of perfect fishing. You catch the biggest fish, give them a high five, throw them back in the ocean, right? Everything is good. You could talk with them, communicate with them, whatever the case may be. A thousand years of surfing the biggest waves, the biggest tsunami you want. Don't have to worry about dying or breaking your bones or anything like that. Again, a thousand years of that perfection. But our God, our Savior, our Messiah, our groom is preparing this place for us. That's what John 14 tells us, that Jesus, he tells his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus, he's preparing this place for us. He's getting it ready for us, and we have to be mindful in this world that this world is not our home. Have you forgotten about that? Have you gotten lost in the chaos of this world that you sit back and realize, man, this world isn't my home. I-, I love to liken it when you go on a trip and you stay in a hotel. Do you bring a U-Haul truck with you every time you go on family vacation? Ah, the paint here. This is ugly paint. Who painted this? Let's go to Home Depot. We're going to paint the inside of the embassy suites. We're going to change the room around, change the layout. I don't like this TV. Let's go to Brandsmart, buy a bigger TV, put it here in the hotel room. No. Why? You're there for a couple days, and then you leave back to your actual home, and you invest in your actual home. Where is your investment? Is your investment in this earth that is quickly passing away? That you have 40 years, 60 years, 80 years in this life, but then eternity in the next? Or are we putting all of our time and investment in our true home? Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, Paul tells us our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform Our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're no longer a stranger. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. You have your citizenship in heaven. So we should be eagerly waiting for our Savior. This world's not our home. And that's why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus warns us do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you investing? Where's your investment in, right? This past week, these past two weeks, again, it's always heartbreaking with these hurricanes, with these storms, with these natural disasters. But how heartbreaking for an unsaved person that has put all of their life, their 50 years, 60 years, 80 years of their life into this retirement home, only to see in a weekend, it's gone, it's vanished. So important for us. Can we invest in this life? Yes. Can you have a vacation home? Yes. But where ultimately is your treasure? Is it just in this life? Are you laying aside, are you laying up for yourself treasures in heaven? Psalm 17, verse 15, one of my favorite verses, David says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Again, the only thing that's going to satisfy us is the moment in time when we see him face to face. And when we wake up in his likeness, in that body that he told us about there in Ephesians and in Philippians, that one day we will inherit. That if we die with him as he died, one day we'll resurrect with him as he resurrected. And that's the only thing in this world that can satisfy a human being. There in verse 3, Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is what makes heaven heaven. That the tabernacle of God is now with men. That God is now dwelling with us. And we will be his people. And that God himself will be with us. This is what makes heaven heaven. The tabernacle was a representation of what heaven was like and what it would be like to live in the very presence of God. However, in Old Testament times, it came with a lot of fear because the high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year and he had to be completely washed, completely cleansed, completely washed of all his sins. If not, what would happen? He'd go into the Holy of Holies with his bell, ringing, ringing, ringing. Then he'd hear a thump and he died, right? Right? Because he came into the presence of God in sin. Then they'd have to pull him out with the rope. When we are in heaven, there's no fear. There's no fear of being in the presence of God and am I going to die? What's going to happen here? We get to enjoy his presence. This thing that was once an idea will now be a reality. God will dwell with us and we will live forever in his presence. Charles Spurgeon, he says, This is the greatest glory of heaven and the ultimate restoration of what was lost in the fall. I don't think the glory of Eden lay in its grassy walks or in the bogs bending with luscious fruit, but its glory lay in this, that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Here was Adam's highest privilege that he had companionship with the most high companionship with the most high we get small tastes of that here on this earth but one day we'll get to see him face to face one day we'll be able to walk with him and talk with him right there's a morning walk hey god how you doing how's your day going today right we'll get to taste of that what makes a honeymoon a honeymoon right what makes a honeymoon so special do you get married and say you know what she likes the beach I like the woods. Honey, you go take your week, your week in the Bahamas. I'm going to go for a week in the woods in Virginia, and I'll catch you at the house a week later. Is, is that a honeymoon? What makes a honeymoon a honeymoon is that you're there with your spouse. You're there with your beloved, the person you care for, the person that you love, the person that you've longed for, and now you have companionship with them. What makes a 10-year anniversary or a 20-year anniversary trip so special? He likes fishing. I like being at the spa, so I'm just going to stay here at the Biltmore for a week. I'm going to send them to the Bahamas fishing for a week. Honey, I'll see you in a week, right? No, it's companionship one with another. That's why we have to be so careful with the lie that if we have no companionship with God today, somehow we will be entitled to companionship with Him for all of eternity. What a great lie that if our whole life today is going against God, going against His Word, not allowing Him to have our life, not allowing Him to have companionship with us, what a lie to think that we are owed companionship with Him for all of eternity. And again, those are the two options. It's either companionship with Him in heaven for all of eternity or hell for all of eternity. Those are the only options. We have to be careful with that. Do you have companionship with God today? Do you walk with Him today? Do you have fellowship with Him today? Do you ever sit there and ask God, God, how's your day going today? In our prayers, Lord, what what breaks your heart? What's breaking your heart today, Lord? What's blessing your heart today, God? Do we have those conversations with the Lord? Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The word passed away there is departed. All of these things will be departed and will never be able to return. These things will all be gone and never able to come back. Tears will be gone and done away with. Death is done and no more. There'll be no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Dead, departed, gone. All of these things are former things, having once been things, but now not existing. Now not really in what we do each and every day. Do you remember when we used to have boom boxes, right? Remember we used to have a boom box and you have to walk around with your loudspeaker system, right? Instead of just your small Bluetooth speaker that you carry around with you? You remember when we used to have Walkman and your AA batteries would die? You'd have to go get new AA batteries, right? Ooh, this one's shockproof. I can hit it really hard and nothing happens to the CD. Remember when you used to have a home telephone and you'd have to duck under the cord as your mom's on the phone all afternoon long, right? And you're ducking under the cord back and forth. Do you remember these things? Remember when we used to have a rotary phone, And You would be dialing the phone and, ah, I went too far back. Got to hang up, right? Pick it up, redial what's going on there. Do you remember these things when we used to have black and white TV or when you used to have an antenna? Ah, signal's bad. Let me grab some aluminum foil and try to tie it in here. Maybe this will do something. Do you remember these things when we used to have X, Y, or Z? This is how every disciple of Jesus Christ will one day speak of death and sorrow and pain and tears. Former things. This doesn't exist today. We don't mess with these things today. That's not the way we do life today. These are former things. Man, can you remember when we used to have sadness? Can you remember when we used to have grief? All of these things passed away. Every tear of a nasty divorce. Every tear of someone in your family being taken advantage of all the heartbreak of you being taken advantage of someone that you trust and love, all of the shame and guilt and manipulation, every unmet expectation, it's gone. It's a former thing. Every tear of a loss, every baby that's passed away, every death, every cancer sentence, every breakdown of a family, all of this will one day depart Forever and be gone for all of eternity. But it's only for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 5 Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Here he who sat on the throne said, This is very special. This doesn't happen that often in scripture where God speaks to us while he's seated and on the throne. And he says, behold, I make all things new. God is not just making something new in terms of time. But he's making something brand new in terms of the kind and the quality of what he's creating. And we taste of this here on earth. We taste of this in our life, in our salvation, and in our spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 it tells us therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day even though my body is perishing even though i'm getting older and older my spirit can be renewed each and every day by the word of god and the spirit of god 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 17 tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We taste of this in our life. We used to be this. We used to be that. We used to be this, that, or the third. But now we come into Christ Jesus and we're a brand new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus, in dealing with the woman who was caught in adultery, in John chapter 8, verse 11, he tells her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, there are many of us here that we've gone from being a drunkard to being spirit-filled worshipers. There are many men here who have gone from being a slave of sex and pornography to being a good husband and a great father. There are many marriages here that were on the brink of falling apart, on the brink of divorce, having gone through divorce, to now becoming marriages that are stirring up other marriages to stick together and follow the Lord. Many of us here, we've gone from being slaves of darkness to slaves of the Most High. We taste of these little things here on earth, but one day it will be reality that we see with our very eyeballs, right? It will be a very reality. Henry Morris, he's a scientist that has broken down a lot of Revelation, a lot of books. He says, when God finally completes this work of making all things new, they will stay new. Presumably, this means not only that everything will be made new, but also that everything will stay then new. The entropy law will be repealed. Nothing will wear out, nothing will decay, and no one will age or atrophy anymore. Amen? Right? Especially once you get to that age. I'm at the age where now me and my friends we start talking about new pains that we've never felt before in our life, right? I have back pain. I have a back. I have back pain. What is this, right? My shoulder's thrown. I have a shoulder. What's going on here, right? And one day, all of this will be repealed. All of it will be gone. New bodies, new heaven, new earth. Verse five, and he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. It seems as if John got caught up in the moment. John was that groom with his mouth on the floor, just staring at everything that God is doing. And God has to say, John, write. You've got to write these things down. Calvary Miami is going to need it in October 2022. You've got to write these things down. Then in verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts one day God's perfect plan of redemption will come to its end and be completed. Just as Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, paid in full, there on the cross for the payment required to make the only way for man to be brought back into goodwill and favor with God. So God here tells John, it is done. His full and beautiful plan of redemption is complete and is done. Sometimes we watch a movie and we say, Man, that thing was three hours. If I change this one little plot, the movie's five seconds long, right? I change this one plot twist and the movie's done in one minute. Bada boom, bada bing. I saved three hours of my life, right? Sometimes we read the Bible and we say, God, you're the creator of heaven and earth. Why would you allow the devil to exist? Why would you allow that tree to exist? You, you kill Satan, right? We're all perfect. We're all still living in the garden. What's going on? But redemption is so special. David Guzik, he says, Our instinct is to romantically consider innocence as man's perfect state and wish Adam would have never done what he did. But we fail to realize that redeemed man is greater than innocent man. That we gain more in Jesus Christ than we ever lost in Adam. God's perfect state is one of redemption, not one of innocence. Again, some of us, we've tasted of that. We completely blow it in a relationship, and yet we ask for forgiveness. They forgive us, and we're redeemed, and you taste of that, and oh, what a feeling of that agape love. Some of us with our kids, right? It's one thing when they're innocent, they they don't know any better, right? when the, the blob season, right? They can't hold their head up and they're just a blob, right? You got to hold them up. got to make sure they're all together. But it's a whole another season as they get older and when they mess up, they break down and they come to mom or dad and they say, mom, dad, would you forgive me? I sinned. And then you have that embrace. You have that redemption. You have that restoration. Again, this is God's perfect state that we would taste of the redemption of God. Have you tasted of that of your, in your life today? Have you tasted that full circle of God's redemption in your life? Your latest season of sin, your latest season of blowing it, your latest season of going back to the toilet of this world does not have to be your last season. God wants to redeem you. He was willing to give up his only begotten son to redeem you. This is his perfect state. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the A to Z. God has always existed and always will exist. That's why, how prideful of mankind to think we can raise ourselves up to God and say, I know what God's word says, but this is what I think. It doesn't matter. I don't know if you've ever been there, right? Someone asks you a question and you say, okay, here's this verse, here's that verse, here's the third verse, here's the fourth verse, here's the fifth verse, here's all, this is what it all means, here it is for you. And they sort of look at you and they go, yeah, but you know what I think, right? I think that's not really this, that, or the third. No one cares what you think. No one cares what you think. Well, we care about what does God's word say, What does God's word say? It is such a level of pride that we can think we can come to God's word and say, I don't like that verse. I don't like that chapter. I don't like Paul. I don't like the Old Testament. So I'm going to pick and choose what I want and what I don't want. So much pride. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the only reason you and I exist and have life. The only reason we didn't die in a car accident or in the womb or in a million other crazy seasons that we've been through. And he tells us, what an offer here. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. John chapter 4 verse 14, Jesus tells the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Is it that much Hard work to drink a cup of water. Anybody here not capable of drinking a cup of water, right? You guys all seem more than capable of doing so, right? This is how simple it is to come to the Lord. In John chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, Jesus tells Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does it take to be saved? A drink? A look? Right? Jesus, he points to back to the book of Numbers with Moses when there's people in Israel, they've been bitten, By a deadly serpent, God tells Moses, Hey, you want to save the people? Make a bronze serpent, put it on a stick, and put it up in a place where everybody could see. And if people wanted to be saved from the deadly bite of the serpent, what would they have to do? Just look. They would just have to look at the serpent raised up on high. And all we have to do is look on Christ on high. That's all we have to do. Take that look, take that drink. Do you have that thirst for heaven? Do you have that thirst for Jesus Christ? He's more than willing to give of the fountain of water of life freely if you thirst. The question is what are you trying to quench that thirst with? Charles Spurgeon he says, what does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. Perhaps there's no better representation of the faith in all the word of God than that. To drink is to receive to take in the refreshing draught, and that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, but he can drink. A man may be very unworthy in character, but yet a draught of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkably easy thing, it's even more simple than eating, right? Thank you for that, Spurgeon, right? Drinking is easier than, than eating. So for us, maybe you're dirty, Maybe you're still filled with your sin. Christ doesn't tell you, hey, fix yourself and then come to me. He says, hey, come as you are, drink of what I have for you, and then allow me to change your life. I'll change you from the inside out. Each of us were thirsty. We talked about it at the beginning. We were created with a hunger and thirst for something that's not in this world. And we try to fill it with different things, money or pleasure or freedom or power or this hobby or this thing. But the only thing that will satisfy is Jesus Christ. We have a thing, right? It's called a midlife crisis. And there are men, there 40, 50, 60 years old. They go down a certain path seeing all that it has to offer and they come to the end of it and say, is this all that it has to offer? Maybe if I get a Corvette, maybe if I get a motorcycle, maybe if I get a boat, maybe if I get a toupee, right, then my life will be complete, right? And they go through the midlife crisis. And then what happens to them? They're on the motorcycle with a toupee, and phew, there it goes, right? That's, that's what happens to them. No, it's because nothing in this life can satisfy. It's just they've been able to go to the end of an extreme and realize, this doesn't satisfy. you have people, they make their first million, and are they satisfied? No, I guess I'll try to make my next million. And then are they satisfied? No. You have men, they go after sex, after pornography. First time, are they satisfied? Second time, 10,000 times, are you satisfied? No, you're still hungry. Sex, alcohol, drugs, are you satisfied? No, you're still hungry. Only Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him can satisfy that thirst and that longing in us. But we need to humble ourselves and drink of Him. We need to humble ourselves And look to the one that was sacrificed on the cross. Verse 7 and 8. Revelation 21. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. And she shall be my daughter. Verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Why does God put this here? Because God hates mankind? Because God hates people? Because God doesn't love? No. God puts this here because He loves mankind so much. He's warning them. There's only one way to heaven. And it's in and through Jesus Christ. It's in and through overcoming, right? Verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 5, John tells us, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to be an overcomer? You got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Not only when you first get saved, but in every trial, every temptation, every difficulty, there afterwards. There are many Christians that just say, oh, I just have this sin that I can't overcome. I just can't get this monkey off my back. I keep falling into the same thing over and over and over again. Within that situation, you're not believing that Jesus is the Son of God. You're not believing that He's the same God that created the heavens and the earth, the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead, the same God that healed the paralytic, that gave sight to the blind, that has done all these miracles. Because that same God, Jesus, the Son of God, can help you overcome your anxiety and your depression. Jesus, that same God, can help you overcome your addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography. That same God can help you with your problem, with your bad language. But we need to be overcomers. Romans chapter 12 Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's happening in your life? Is evil overcoming you and taking over you, squishing you into its mold, and now you look like and you act like just the rest of the world? What a lie to parents today, right? You can't beat them, just join them. What a lie for us and our kids. Are we lying to our kids, telling them, hey, just be overcome with evil? Who cares? Just be overcome with evil. They have to be out in the world. Just let them be overcome with it. What a lie. Romans 12, 21 sticks sticks its finger right in the eye of that. We are not to be overcome by evil. We are to be overcoming evil with good. Just like Jesus Christ did. The world around him did not overcome him. His 12 disciples did not overcome him. His own mother did not overcome him. No, he was there overcoming evil with good. Jesus, He repeats this over and over within the Bible, within the book of Revelation. In Revelation 2, verse 11, He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Heaven is going to be filled with men and women who are overcomers. Men and women who overcome sin, men and women who overcome the world, and men and women who overcome evil. Is that you? Is that me? Are we raising our kids to be this? To be able to overcome sin, overcome the world, and overcome evil. If this is us, then one day we will overcome death Just like Jesus Christ did. Again, the progression here. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 through 17. It tells us the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. If we are unwilling to be overcomers, then we're cowards. This is what God's word tells us. Not me. Don't get mad at me. This is what Revelation says, right? If we are not an overcomer, we are a coward. Tells us to be overcomers, right? If we overcome, we'll inherit all things and he will be our God and he's going to adopt us as his sons and daughters. But then in verse 8, but the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The cowardly. Does that mean those who are timid are not allowed into heaven? Heaven's only filled with a bunch of machismo and arrogant and crazy people. No, not at all. That word cowardly, it's those who choose self and safety before Jesus Christ. Who is your God? Is it yourself? Again, we come back to the point. I know what the Bible says, but this is what I think. You're choosing yourself over God. Are you choosing safety before Jesus Christ? I know what the Bible says, but I don't want to cause a rift in my family. I know what the Bible says, but I don't want to lose this job. I know what the Bible says, but I don't want to lose this friendship. I know what the Bible says, but, and we're choosing safety, be careful. The cowardly, there's no room to enter heaven there. And again, think of the context of John writing the book of Revelation. It's to a bunch of churches that are seeing their leaders dragged off into prison and being beheaded, being burnt at the stake, being fed alive to lions. And John tells them, The cowardly, there's no room for heaven for the cowardly. Are we choosing self and safety? Is that our God? Or is Jesus Christ truly the Lord and Savior of our life? The unbelieving, right? Do we really believe that there's a new heavens and a new earth awaiting us? Do we really believe Jesus can give us victory over these sins? Then he says the abominable, right? Is it the snowman that can't make it into heaven? No. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6 verse 16 through 19. You can listen to this. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. So these seven things. A proud look. It goes back to pride. A lying tongue. We'll see him mention liars here again. Hands that shed innocent blood. Right? You've got to think of murderers. We can even think of abortion. Is there a more innocent person or life than a human being that has yet to make any decision in the world? And yet they're being murdered. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And notice the last one. One who sows discord among the brethren. It's an abomination to God. These things are abominable and the abominable. If you are constantly living In the six things you will not partake of the kingdom of heaven. Proverbs 15 verse 9 The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. What are you following? Are you following righteousness? Are you following the word of God? Or are you following the words of this world? The list continues. Abominable murderers. We talked about that. Sexually immoral. There's only one moral way to have sex. One husband and one wife were married together having sex with each other. Any other type of sex outside of that is sexual immorality. Any other type. Human being, animal, child, television, phone, any sex outside of that is immoral. You see, what we do is we try to get our sin to be okay under God. Animals, bestiality, that's gross. But my sin, my sexual promiscuity, this is okay in the sight of God. Oh, with children? Oh, no, that's evil and sinful. But my sex over here that's outside of marriage, this is okay before God. It is all in the same view of God. Sexual immorality. Sorcerers. Are there no wizards or warlocks in heaven? Right? Maybe. Yes. But also, what is it talking about here? In the Greek, it's the word pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy. It's speaking of Drugs. Those whose identity is in drugs, we see them. They walk around, they have little marijuana earrings, they got marijuana necklaces. Their whole life's identity is in their drugs. People, they they have no peace. They need to have a cup of wine, they need to get buzzed and drunk at the end of the night to be able to have peace. Is that biblical? No. Jesus Christ, he's our refuge. He's our peace. He's the son of God. He's able to overcome death. He can help you overcome the tough day you had at work. Idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All of those who have lied about Jesus Christ, all of those who have lied about doctrine, those who have lied about what's sin and what's not sin, all of those who have lied about how to get into heaven, all of those that have lied about what's right in the eyes of God and what's wrong in the eyes of God, will have no part in heaven. We either inherit life and that abundantly, never having to taste of death again, or we inherit death and that abundantly, never being able to taste of life ever again. So how do we apply all of this, right? How do we apply all this? Some of us, we're on a downer now. We're all bummed out. No, heaven awaits us. Heaven awaits us. Just continue to be that overcomer. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. It tells us, By faith Abraham, he obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he's going. You don't know what you're doing as a Christian? Join the club. Verse 9, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This world's not our home. If we got to live in tents, we got to live in tents. I'm waiting for the city which has foundations, and whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. How do we apply this chapter? We look forward to heaven for all of eternity. And now I focus on my service to God. Am I serving God? Am I serving God acceptably with reverence, with godly fear, with respect, with gratitude for what He's done in my life? Am I serving Him? Worship team, you can come up and I'll close with this last C.S. Lewis quote. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum. Because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Are you pleased with your sin? Are you pleased with your habitual sin? You're in the same sin week after week, month after month year after year, playing with the same mud pie. Man, what does God have in store for those who love Him? Abundantly, above all you can ask, think, or imagine. We just have to put our pride down, put our sin down, look to the cross, drink of that cup, and follow Him here on out. That offer is there for you. That offer is there for me.